0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. For American workers, housing is an increasing inconvenience, either through the direct cost of housing or, if not cost, distance from the office. Vanessa Brown Calder is author of the housing chapter in the Cato Institute's new Empowering the New American Worker book. We spoke last month. I hate to always go back to my home state of Kentucky, but it's the one I pay the most attention to. And we have a governor who um, is more than happy to make these very big job announcements. We have, we have this number of jobs coming here, this number of jobs coming here. We're so happy to have uh, these uh, new workers being productive in Kentucky with these new uh, facilities that are opening up. And yet the, qu- the big question remains, well, well, where are these people going to live? And so for, for workers who want to be productive, who want to save more, who want their housing to be a relatively smaller fraction of their income and want to live a convenient distance from the places that they work, what's the state of affairs with regard to housing?
1: Well, Caleb, it's not great, I'm sorry to say. You know, I drafted um, this chapter for the Worker Empowerment book, which is what we are talking about today, um, months ago, and housing affordability was in a very poor state at the time. And sad to say, it hasn't changed much in that regard, you know, eight or nine months later. Of course, there's been a series of interest rate hikes since I drafted this Um But home sales actually fell in October. High mortgage rates have pushed buyers out of the market. Sellers with low interest rates have opted to stay put and ride the market out. And low inventory has kept prices from dropping and really adjusting. So people are still having a hard time finding homes um, because there just aren't very many homes to pick from. And, uh just home buying affordability in general is at uh, a low, uh, at its lowest in decades. And the Fed is expected to continue raising rates, which I'm sure some of my colleagues could speak to better than I could. Um, But it's a kind of a sorry state of affairs. And I think there's been a lot of discussion both recently and throughout the pandemic on pandemic-related factors affecting housing affordability, things like you know, migration to southern and western cities, increasing demand for housing, or out-migration from central cities to surrounding areas, suburban areas, or even rural areas. There's been pandemic labor shortages, supply chain delays, and some of these things have been discussed ad nauseum. And some of them are um, at least You know, partly or sometimes more than partly outside of government control, outside of uh, policymakers' ability to influence um, outside of their purview. But there are also a variety, many policies, I would say, that have um, exacerbated these problems that we've faced in the housing market that have turned up the heat on housing prices further and that are within policymakers' control.
0: Big question, of course, which policymakers? Uh, At the federal level, there's some role to be played, mostly at a macroeconomic level, but uh, it seems like this is a problem that's overwhelmingly at the state and local level.
1: Yes, I think that's right. And as I started to um, think about this chapter, uh, I, you know, I've spent a decent amount of time focused on state and local policy, housing, zoning regulations, land use regulations, um, you know, local building regulations, and that sort of thing. And I certainly think that that is where the main problem is, and arguably the most important policy is at the state and local level. But I do think that there are things that can be done at the federal level as well, Um, a few examples of those things, and I certainly tried to get into, you know, some specific, more specific detail in the chapter itself, but federal tax policy, you know, probably your listeners are familiar with the idea that federal deductions for mortgage interest and state and local taxes increase home prices, particularly in areas with relatively inelastic housing supply. Um, also, with federal tax policy, there's depreciation schedules for Structures which require developers to write off construction costs for new apartments over decades, and that makes development more costly. There's trade policy where tariffs have increased the costs of a wide variety of construction materials and other home goods like steel sinks and cabinets, wood molding, quartz countertops, ceramic tile, washing mas- machines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's also another lesser known policy, which is federal lands policy. And I think that this has become more important during the pandemic as there has been a lot of in-migration to Western states. Um, and in a variety of Western states, the government owns more than a half of the land. In some places like Nevada, Utah, and Idaho, the federal government owns more than two-thirds of the land. In Nevada, actually, 80% of the land. So that can be a problem where fast-growing states with fast-growing population centers touch urban or suburban areas, and there's just not the space to expand. Um, And then I think there are other smaller things at the federal level, like the federal requirement that manufactured housing includes a permanent chassis, which is a a metal base frame that basically allows manufactured housing to be transported, even though manufactured housing typically does not need to be transported after it's installed at the site. So these are all examples of ways that the federal government makes um, housing more expensive. And in addition, sort of coming back to how we how we started at the outset here, certainly at the state level, lots of regulations um, that limit housing supply by uh, creating uncertainty during the development process, producing delays, allowing the public to veto projects, veto housing projects and you know, also tacking on requirements related to the materials and the design—all of these things add to the cost of housing, um, and it also makes it difficult for for local business people, for um, businessmen and women, to actually innovate in the housing market. So it can make it challenging for. Um, for businesses to provide things like modular homes, tiny homes, co-living homes, uh, flexible and short-term rentals, manufactured housing, which we already talked about, etc., because all of these things just make it prohibitive to de- to develop um, new and different housing. And You know, there's other things at the local level as well, like impact fees, building codes that stray from strictly necessary health and safety requirements and that type of thing as well.
0: One of the things that uh, you make note of in your chapter is the idea that uh, people could just say no. Like when it comes time to build something, the ability for governments to say no are, you know, sort of implicit in your chapter. There are lots of ways for the government to say no to you being able to use your own property to put up whatever you want and sell it to somebody and let them live there.
1: It's true. Um, and I think that that's very pretty frustrating, certainly to libertarian types. But I think it should be frustrating to more than libertarians. As you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast here, housing is really a gateway to to uh, all sorts of opportunities, to um you know, amenities to community amenities to educational opportunities for your kids. And so being able to build a wide variety of homes at a lot at a low cost in places um, is really should be of the utmost importance to policymakers that care about increasing opportunity. And, you know, we talk about some of the ways that We can do that in the chapter. And I I think that there are many, many ways to improve affordability. Um, You know, there are tariffs that can be removed, like the Section 232 and Section 301 tariffs. There's um, reforming the tax treatment of development by allowing immediate expensing of structures. We can make some of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act reforms to deductions permanent and ultimately do away with the mortgage interest deduction and state and local tax deductions altogether. You know, we can increase the amount of uh, available land for housing and development in the West and in Southwestern states. Um, Senator Lee and some other offices introduced the Houses Act earlier this year, and that would be one way of doing that. Um, And certainly, we need to continue to eliminate zoning and building requirements and reduce permitting costs through really comprehensive policy reform at the state and local level. And we have seen examples of where this is already taking place. California has passed a variety of laws in recent years, including a law to relax parking requirements recently, you know, laws to streamline permitting processes to reduce barriers to the development of accessory dwelling units. And I think we're starting to see some of the fruits of those reforms, actually, as um, prices start to come down, actually, in California. And I think it's going to take a similar comprehensive approach in other states, and I hope that other states will follow suit.
0: Vanessa Brown Calder is author of the housing chapter in the Cato Institute's new Empowering the New American Worker book, Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.